Yo, what's up all you Yankee Doodles and Cheesy Noodles? That's right, the cringe rhymes are still here, and they're probably going to stay. This is episode 3 of Surviving the Suck Podcast. Welcome, we're so excited to have you back. Today we have a phenomenal guest. Jake Bishop is here to share his story of hope and redemption. And with that being said, I do want to provide a trigger warning. This episode will contain information on drug addiction, mental illness, and suicide ideation. So if you struggle with any of those things, please take care of yourself first. You are what's most important here. But if you're having a good day and you're feeling pretty good, go ahead and listen to this podcast. We're here with you through it, and I can't wait for you to hear it. We're going to learn how Jake survived the suck. Hello to all of you out there surviving the suck. Welcome back. And we are now on episode three of Surviving the Suck, which I am so excited. Thanks for coming back and continuously listening to these podcast episodes. It means the absolute world to me. And today you are seriously in for a real treat. I am so excited about this episode. You guys have no idea. I literally was tearing up and almost crying today thinking about this man and his story. And it's just so incredible because... Today, we're going to have Jake Bishop on with us, and I don't even know Jake. This is actually my first time talking to him, and I can tell you just from meeting him, he's already a fantastic human being. He is actually live from New York, so everyone give him a a big round of applause. Um, He is just an incredible person. I got to know him through Instagram and reached out and just really wanted to hear more of his story and to share with you guys, too, because like I said, I've, I've just been so inspired by his journey. And I can't wait for you all to hear it as well. So um, without further ado, Jake, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. (laughs) That was a very nice introduction. Thank you so much, Haley. I appreciate it. Um, My name is Jake Bishop. I'm a care manager and peer out in Rochester, New York. I'm in recovery. And uh, I started sharing my story probably about a year and a half ago on Instagram. And it sort of took off after that. Wow. That's, see, I love... (laughs) I love that you just said, I've just been sharing my story on Instagram and it just kind of took off after that. Like, how cool is that? And also, I, I, I really want to give you some props here to share your story in such a transparent and courageous way is really, really inspiring to me because, you know, I've said this on other podcast episodes, but for many years, I've had a really hard time being able to share my own personal story. And so when I see people like you who are just so vocal about it and just you own it and you move forward and you just make this amazing recovery, it is really inspiring to people like me. And I know people who are going to be listening to this. I just means the world to me, means the world. That's what I really appreciated about you and your show, which I had a chance to listen to. There's a transparency to it and a genuineness that really, you know, kind of struck me and having the opportunity to do that in a way that's raw uh, and sometimes unappealing to listen to because it's the truth. And my story has a lot of ups and downs. Um, I think partly in the beginning, I, I just got uh, used to doing drugs when I was in my early teens. Of course, it started with finding whatever I could get in the liquor cabinet. Uh, I could get my hands on, usually some sort of warm beer before high school or middle school. Uh, <laughs> Molson's. Uh. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, um, you know, I kind of look back and I'm like, damn, I was mixing in wine with scotch into a little bottle and then bringing it in. Um, just, you know, what edge I was taking off, I don't know. I feel like I didn't quite fit in when I was in school, um, Mexican-Italian. So it was kind of a strange mix to have and, uh, with kids I didn't always understand or get along with. 
Um, and then into high school, it became more of using it to meet other people, you know, marijuana, drinking. And by the time I was 15, I was already using cocaine uh, weekly, <laughs> you know, for a student to get his hands on. Um, I was from a nice little suburb, Penfield. And uh, I had just a party lifestyle. I found that I could spend money and make money at the same time, which fit with my kind of personality. I want to greet you. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy your company. And if it helps with the drug, yeah, absolutely. And make a little bit of money. That's, that's when I really started to make some big mistakes. Uh, maybe classes. I had some opportunities I, to uh, go to college. I skipped over all of those. In fact, I didn't even finish high school, which I'm sure tore me down a little bit later on. But I did get my GED, so I'm sure that that was my, my little success. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So, you know, you talked a little bit about your experience with drug, drug use. Do you feel like at any point you were, I guess my question is, when you were that young, I mean, you started using cocaine when you were, you said 15? 15. Did you know that you were addicted to it at that point? I knew that there was something that I felt like at the time I was just enhancing things like, oh, well, it isn't really an addiction. I'm doing it because I'm, um, you know, trying to make some money. I always thought I had some sort of appeal to crime. I was, you know, whether it was petty crime, stealing, um, selling drugs, that was very appealing to me. I think it, it gave me an identity. And I think that when you're that young using drugs, you lose your identity, so you try to create one. You have a facade, and when you put that mask on, and sometimes it gets very heavy, and sometimes when you take it off, you don't remember who you were before you put it on. And I know I hear this a lot from counselors that I get in touch with. They say that whatever age you first started using drugs, that's the age you kind of stay. And I'm like, there's no way. I hope to God I'm not a 13-year-old kid in a 32-year-old's body trying <laughs> like trying going out in the world driving and stuff and i i feel like that's the way it am like it, it changed my ability to to look at things in in a reasonable way without being selfish without harming others to get what i want and uh there's a lot of regrets and it's i think going back to your question i think at 15 i think i knew i would just sort of dig myself out of it at some point i would just kind of reassure myself well i'll just do it later. I'll use my youth. I'll use my uh, potential later on. And uh, at some point I realized how deep I, I had gotten and there was less and less people waiting for me at the bottom to help me get out every single time. Wow. And that has to be a really empty feeling to feel just that alone, especially in a very vulnerable spot. What was, what was that like for you? Uh, you form close relationships with people to try, you know, mainly other drug users because it kind of puts you in the same kind of chaos. It's cathartic in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time I was 19, I had my first DWI. I drank like a water bottle, a bottle full of vodka, crashed a car less than a mile away from home. Uh, nobody tried stopping me because I think they thought I was going to get aggressive. <laughs> they tried to take my keys away or something, uh, and I, I got out of it. You know, I had a very good attorney, uh, Mr. Fiondock. Uh, he's 
kind of wrote the book on DWI law here in New York. And it's funny because just a few weeks ago, I had him on my show and I said, we're, yeah, <laughs> we were talking oh, about wow. it. the guy who defended me came on and talked about DWIs and preventative care. And that was sort of eye-opening for me to think, you know, how much have you gone through? But does it mean anything if you get to share it to somebody else who's also 19 and invincible and nothing can stop them? It was a lone, it was a lonely place. And sometimes I think back on that and, and I realize that small circle of friends that I had uh, were just other users who were just as lost as I was, just as confused. Um, and I tried to motivate myself with other crimes. You know, that's the one thing that was constant. I thought I'll move from petty crime, move it up a little bit, and sort of bring a, you know, bring some reputation to myself in Rochester, New York, as somebody who would, you know, get away with crimes, keep my mouth shut, uh, and that's what sort of, you know, culminated in my early twenties. Wow. So you talk a lot about, you know, getting into these situations and it just seems like it was probably one thing after another. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the podcast, the whole point of this is really to talk about those, those deep moments, those moments where you just feel like you're in the suck. You can't get out of it. Um, because one, one thing that I always talk about is, you know, my experience with the suck has been depression and anxiety and, and suicidal moments and it just, dark, dark spot that I just didn't think I could ever survive. And my question for you is, have you ever had that moment where you just felt like there was no way you were going to survive the suck that you felt like, you know, I, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. And what helped you through that? Yeah, I felt that I, it's, uh, it's like an iciness, a coldness that hits you. And the way I always, the, the depression that would hit me when I would have that feeling is when I was locked in jail or, or prison. There was something about being in that concrete little cage and touching that the first thing when I would wake up in the morning and I would want to die. You know, you're, you're afraid to go to sleep because, you know, you're vulnerable. And then you're afraid to dream because it might remind you of something happy. And it, that dreams kind of poisons you for the rest of the day because it might have been something about your mom loving you or a girlfriend that supported you or somebody who you wouldn't see. And I think for me, it was when I was in South Dakota. I had just been arrested. Uh, it was in 2015. I had just been arrested for trafficking and distribution of 133 pounds of marijuana. Uh, they had given me <laughs> they had given me uh, a lot of heartache. The judge was a former federal prosecutor. Wow. My attorney wouldn't even talk to me until I gave him $15,000 within the first two days. Wired that over to him. It cost about $50,000. And I was, uh, I was sentenced. They wanted me to do seven years. It was started off at 30. Then they said, I said, well, I'm not going to talk. And he said, okay, maybe there's something we can do. And I, of course, in these small towns, they all know each other. So I knew I was going to get some good deal. Um, so I did, uh, I did a year, eight months. And then while I was in there, my, my grandmother died. You know, somebody who was very close to me. She had several strokes. And it was on, uh, let's see, two weeks before Christmas. And uh, it, it broke my heart. And I definitely felt like there was nothing left. I didn't know who I was going to be when I got out. 
you know, I, my life had changed by the time I got arrested. My nana would always say, if you can't be good, be safe. Mm. And, uh, I had not been safe. And, uh, I felt like that moment that it was just easier just to die inside and not wake up. And those moments lingered on for years afterwards where I would just be walking or doing something and feeling like it was just better to pass away than to be cruel and let my life uh, curse other people. Wow. That was my depth. Wow. That's, that's a deep spot to be in. I, I related to you a little bit when you talked about the dreams of not wanting to dream of anything happy because it would remind you of the good times and, and then having, mm. you know, those other terrible nightmares or, or things like that. I, I suffer from PTSD. So I have a lot of um, nightmares at times that'll just remind me of some really dark moments, the suck in my life. Mm. And I wake up and I find myself just very off. Um, but, you know, last year I was in a really dark place and there was a moment where probably like where you were, you know, touching the walls and just feeling very dark and heavy and not feeling like you just can't carry on. Yeah. There was a moment in my life where I remember I was on my bedroom floor and I was alone in the house that I was living in on campus. So I was a senior in college at the time. And I just thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to survive this. Like, yeah. I just remember being on the ground and, and crying and I was struggling with so much weight and I just remember thinking there's no way I'm gonna survive this and you know thankfully I did make it through that moment but you know I always I always celebrated other people for helping me through that but I think something that that you should recognize and, and myself should recognize is we're the ones who picked ourselves back up in that moment we wouldn't be here without our own strength and resiliency and how important it is to recognize and celebrate that. And so, Jake, you should feel extremely proud of yourself for carrying through those moments because you could have just given up. <laughs> you didn't. Thank you. You too. I'm surviving the suck. Yeah. I mean, let me know when you make some, let me know when you make some t-shirts here. I, I, <laughs> I get you some t-shirts. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it's so true. And I, I love, love, love rising up recovery. I think that is absolutely just like the best name ever. Because <laughs> I, I think about, you know, what it is to rise. And I, I've thought about this a lot, actually. Um, there's this quote that we always say in Foster's Voice Suicide Awareness, which is a nonprofit I work with. And we always say we rise by lifting others. And I always, I always say to that as well, you know, I think we rise while while rising with others. We all rise together in the beauty of that in community. So I kind of want to hear a little bit about Rising Up Recovery and what this means to you. Like what, what does all of this mean in your journey? Rising Up Recovery, it started off with, um, his name was Tony Gingello. He was the founder. He had the small radio show on 106.3 here in Rochester, New York. And he asked me to come on as a guest. Now, Tony Gingello, I had looked up to this guy since I was a kid. He was somebody who was involved with a uh, Italian-American organization. And uh, I, his uncle was blown up by a car bomb in Rochester. So there was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of intrigue about him. And of course that always sort of, you know, I was always sort of interested in that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I saw that he had 
uh, an interest in helping out other people. And he let me tell my story. He let me come on the show. And he said, you know what, Jake, why don't you come on again next week? You and I can do a little business and sit down and talk. And I said, sure. I said, do you mind if I bring in a couple of more people and just ask some guests to come in? And then it was having some senators come in and some congressmen and then uh, then some community activists. And then somebody said, listen, my, my daughter passed away several years ago. I'd really like to keep that spark alive. Is there any way she, I can come on the show to us? Well, well, yeah, I'd love to hear that. And it, it gave me some, it gave me back some of my life because I realized that instead of running away from all the things that were dark and sad and scary to me, that I said, you know what? I'm only going to live my life pure. I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go work out, all positive thoughts. I was able to embrace it and I was able to, to give some sort of comfort to other people in it. And it was able to give me that ability to say, hey, your voice needs something and talk to people out there. We just had a beautiful letter come in the mail. It was from somebody uh, who had just overdosed. They were going to have to be there for a week and they listened to our show, uh, James. <laughs> and uh, he said, it was really nice to have a voice on the radio when I can't do anything. And he said, you guys told me I'm not alone. And uh, I, I like feeling that we can give some company to people and some inspiration. And whether it's sober events, like doing a, we had a mocktail night and we're looking forward to do another one after COVID. Uh, sober events for people who just want to get out there and enjoy themselves and realize how big the community really is. Uh, or people who just feel like they want to try something different. I'm always open to that. Wow. 100.9 WXIR has been fantastic to us, taking really good care, and we've had some pretty amazing guests come on. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. And the story about James, I mean, wow. That, that is phenomenal, one that he's still here and he's listening to the show, and you guys are the voice telling him that he's not alone. How incredible is that that's what that's what we do that's what that's why we do things like this is for that one person to hear that voice that says you're not alone and to yeah. feel like you know what my voice matters wow thank you for that for giving me this outlet for and the ability to do it oh gosh of course i this is what i want you know, this is exactly what I want right here is to provide a safe space for people like you to come on, share your story with just such bravery and courage and someone else who's listening to listen to you and to hear, wow, if Jay can make it through all of that, I can make it through what I'm going through too. And, you know, we, I just talked about this actually in episode two with Kumail. We were talking about how when people reach out and tell you about what they've been through and relate to your story just how beautiful that is i think it was denzel washington actually one of his quotes um or something that i once said was you know one of the most selfish things you can do is to give back to volunteer your time to share your story it's one of the most selfish things you can do because really you gain so much by giving and for me that has just rang so true the amount of people that reached out to me when I started my mental health movement on campus and just the work that I've done in mental health awareness or suicide prevention, the amount of people who reach out and tell me, you know, you speaking about this got me through this day, or I felt like I could survive today because of you and, and just what you were saying. And little do they know that them saying that <laughs> stuff to me helps me get through my day. So, you know, like we were talking about earlier, right? Like we're all connected it, and it's so beautiful that, 
we can share these moments together. It's the human experience into, you know, I really believe that we find ourselves through the people around us. And so, you know, Jake, I, I guess I want to know, like, do you have people around you who really inspire you and lift you up when you are feeling like you can't continue on in recovery? Every day, every day. I, you know, my job at Baden Street Settlement, it gives me the ability to stay in touch with people at network every single day with somebody who can inspire me to say something new, a different way to perceive something that I hadn't thought of before. Uh, my, my boss, Mary Gomez DeSantis and uh, Jackie Kyler, they're two wonderful people who have said, you know what, he's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> he's, you know, he comes back from like a little bit of a sales background, uh, you know, records, felonies, um, but he cares and he wants to put himself out there. Let's try to work with him so they, they can, they definitely inspire me. And, you know, if, even if it's something just going out in the community and the clients that I have, and some of them teach me things. You know, I, somebody just told me the other day, he said, you know, Jake, you see, see you running around and trying to help me a little bit. Maybe a little more productivity and a little less activity. <laughs> I was like, all right, he called me on it. But yes, good. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Okay, so you have a lot of people that are in touch with you all the time. What do you feel like is the biggest lesson that you've learned from the people around you or just even doing the show? What's something that you've learned that you want to share with anyone who's listening? Uh, it's okay to have regrets, but, you know, try to help other people first before you help yourself. And then the right things will always follow. If I know I wake up in the morning and I tell myself I need to help one other person. And at the end of the night, and I can kind of get some good sleep and say, Jake, did you help somebody out today? Did you, is there anything you regret? Um, that keeps me motivated. If I can say I helped one other person, then I know I'm paying back a debt. I know I have a debt to pay back to this world. I've taken a lot from people and there's a lot of stuff that I live with. And sometimes I like to think that that burden gets eased every single day if I just help one person. So, you know, that kind of darkness that I, I've seen and that you know about doesn't swallow me up next time I'm there. Mm. Oh, that, that hit deep, that last line that you said, <laughs> that not letting that darkness swallow you up. Um, there's something that I, I really have been passionate about the past few months. I saw a quote somewhere, and it just has always stuck with me, that, you know, people always say that someone struggles with depression or struggles with anxiety or schizophrenia or whatever it is that you might struggle with, struggle with addiction. And I always say I battle depression because depression hits, but I hit back. And you might battle addiction, but when addiction hits, you hit back. Like we mm -hmm. are fighters. I think anyone who suffers from mental illness, addiction, self-harm, whatever it is, we are fighters and warriors. And we should be so proud of that. So proud. I love that. I love that mindset because I don't think people realize what it's like sometimes when you wake up in the morning and your body feels like it's 500 pounds. Mm. And you sort of imagine yourself I, I told somebody it's kind of like you know your heart shatters and it takes a long time but you have to pick every little piece up and put it right back together and sometimes you cut yourself while you're doing it mm. you know but you, you remember what it was like to be happy and to enjoy yourself 
uh, you know, one of the things my nan always, always used to tell me was time is only as precious as the people you spend it with, but if you spend it wisely, you'll feel much better about yourself as a person. And that used to make me feel good, you know, because I would come home. Obviously, I was coming home at like 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> with a couple of friends and we we're counting money and she'd just be like, yeah, you got to spend your time with the right people. I'm like, I know, Nana. Okay. Wow. I wish I had, li- I wish I had listened. <laughs> you know, it's crazy how the people around us or, you know, our counselors or whoever we have who support us in our recovery journey are always telling us those things, but we never want to listen. And someone, <laughs> I think it was one of the counselors that I had this year. I, I, I've been through five counselors this year because just of the situations in my life and trying to find the right one for me. One of them told me, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen more, talk less. And that has been something, you know, for me, I was at the time, I was like, what do you mean? Listen more, talk less. I, I talk too much. But, and, you know, as I reflected on that, I'm like, okay, you're right. You know, the more that I've listened and have truly connected with people and really listened, not just to reply, but to understand people, that's when I've, I've found that I find more of myself and I find out more in my recovery. I think when I was going through everything that I went through this year, hearing other people's stories often got me through the moments that I didn't think I could make it through. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned that your brain actually changes when you hear other people's stories. Like the neuroplasticity changes because you are hearing someone's story of hope and your brain will literally collect that information and hold on to that until you're in those dark moments where you need that hope, your brain will remember those stories and take you back to that hope. And isn't that like incredible? Just the resiliency as human beings. I I mean, that to me is, is incredible. Well, I guess that would make sense because I I see one of the things that my clients go through at Baden Street is group therapy and Mm -hmm. something about group therapy, just that presence of hearing somebody else tell the story helps get them involved and wants them to come back, even if they hate the story, even if they've heard the story a million times, even if it's their story, but just someone else, it gives them that presence of mind to be like, okay, this is good to listen to. Yeah. And, and like you said, the community factor. I mean, I, I heard this Ted talk last year that completely kind of changed the way that I think about mental illness. It, it talked about how we are the only creatures on earth that have the ability to commune in such an in-depth way and that that's our power is community and so you know of course since lockdown happened in march of course the suicide rate exploded by 200 percent because i think now more than ever we need each other and we're, we're missing that that togetherness that community and understanding that you know we truly are not alone but it's so hard right now and i think with it being close to the holiday season. I don't know if you can speak to this, but I know so many people, it's such a trigger for them and they really struggle during the holidays. So I don't know, do you have any clients or anyone who struggles with that? Oh yeah, in Monroe County in Rochester, it's jumped up 27% in overdoses. Oh. It's, uh, it hits people hard. You, know, I, you have kids that you can't see, you're living under a bridge, you're living in a crackdown. You're living in somewhere that's unsafe. Maybe, maybe you have um, you know an opportunity to see people, but just no money. It's people are all over the place with the clients, and I get phone calls with people sometimes who just want to talk. I think 
as much activity there is in the city and as much things go by, there's not a lot of connection. Mm. There's not a lot of closeness. There's not a lot of feeling where you can open up to somebody. And I get these phone calls randomly at like one o'clock in the morning. Jake, uh, I just want to follow up. You did that paperwork for the unemployment. I, I did. All right. You do, you doing okay? Just, yeah, I'm doing fine. All right, good, good. Just checking in on you. You know, and I have to, and I appreciate it. I love it. I, you know, I get, this is, this is my job and I love it, but it just gives me a reminder of, you know, how, you know, in a way, how grateful I am to, to be able to connect with people and that we even have an opportunity to help anybody. Yeah. Wow. And, and you're so right. It's never a, I have to, it's, I get to. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about you and, and everyone else who is doing this kind of work. You know, we wake up every day and it's just the constant, you know, who can I help? I, I get to do this work. I get to be a kind human being and a good person. And it, it seems like, you know, with everything that's going on in social media and the news, things that can just be so negative at times, it seems like we've almost lost that. But in a sense, you know, it's like I meet people like you and I see the good. And I see the genuine and I see people who are out trying to make a difference and it just warms my heart. So thank you for being the kind person that you are because, you know, I believe that we change the world one person at a time and you literally said it every day you wake up and you're trying to impact one person and that's phenomenal. Absolutely. So congratulations on your TED talk too. <laughs> oh gosh, thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I laugh about the TED talk and it shouldn't be funny because, you know, it's just, it's a TED Talk. It's, it's a serious thing. But at the same time, like the week before uh, my TED Talk was supposed to be this past year, it got postponed. But as the deadline was inching closer, I, you know, I realized that I hated my talk and I wanted to rip it up. And so I did. <laughs> and I was on draft 50. And oh <laughs> the, the topic is is mental health and suicide prevention and i have eight to ten minutes to cover this and to take it in a direction that's really going to impact people and make them think differently you know the whole point of a ted talk is to bring about an idea that makes people think differently about a certain topic and so for me that puts at least yeah i guess just for me it puts on a lot of pressure because i feel like I can't let anyone down. I feel like, you know, I, I don't want to let anyone down who's struggling with mental health, who has lost someone to suicide and is trying to recover from that. I just, I feel this immense pressure to give the best talk possible. So I'm probably going to be on draft like 250 by the time I get on that damn stage on the red dot and I'm trying to give my talk. People are, and then my luck would be, you know, I'm going to get up there and I'm just going to blank. That would, that would be my luck. So <laughs> I hope I didn't just put that out there. <laughs> now I'm just going to. Oh we'll God. just edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping maybe it'll be virtual because then that could be a possibility. Like we could just edit oh. that out. But there's a live audience. <laughs> Jake, I can't, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just have to call on you and you can come on stage and, and tell your story. So I'll I stop. <laughs> a ringer. Yeah, right. <laughs> And, you know, on that topic of, you know, mental health, suicide prevention and addiction, um, you know, why, why is all this stuff so important for you? Obviously, you've been through it, but I've seen so many people who do go through it and are trying to recover themselves and, and they just are trying to keep it close to their heart because they're still struggling. What makes you 
literally just want to continue to fight the good fight and and share with people how important this is. Well, I've been there and I've had the moments in my life. I I overdosed on heroin. It was my it was in St. Louis. I had come back to Rochester after I, I had left South Dakota during my incarceration, and uh, things were difficult. You know that was close to four hundred thousand dollars of marijuana. I kept my mouth shut. Um, and it was hard to work under pressure with some people and their considerations of me in that uh, criminal realm. And I wanted out, but I realized that also meant no money, <laughs> none of those connections that I used to have. And I had to depend on myself. So I took, I took off with nothing but the clothes on my back, a car, small amount of cash, and I left. And I lived on my own. I was homeless. Um, got to the point that I was living on the street and I, uh, you know, one day I, I just got in touch with some, you know, some dealers that I had met on the Amtrak station. And I, I didn't know the difference between boy and girl on the street. I thought I was like, okay, listen, I need Coke because this will make me get up. Um, I was working at a restaurant. So of course I was getting free drinks I was doing and, uh, I did heroin. I just poured out the stuff and I didn't know what it was and I overdosed. And, it's, and when I woke up, 30 minutes later, they had me back on the street. Wow. And I realized, you know, my life really wasn't worth m much at all. And I had nobody waiting for me, no phone call. In fact, I had lost my phone. And I realized I had just nothing. And I didn't want to have that feeling anymore of waking up and knowing that if I had died or not died, it wouldn't have made a difference in anybody's day. So... Um, I, I think it's it's close to my heart because I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like to feel like you're you're at the very bottom and, and like you're drowning and you just sort of let yourself accept it at the last second. And I don't want anybody else to ever, ever go through that. I want people to know that your abilities, your talent, your intelligence, your kindness, all those little things pay off later on. And as long as you can just put the effort in whether that's counseling, whether it's going to a job, whether it's hitting the gym, uh, being scared to take a, an opportunity you never expected. You know, for me, I was at my lowest point. I had just gotten out of a relationship and, uh, you know, she had had a miscarriage. I had taken it very personally. And I said, uh, you know, never again. So when I see people, I see myself sometimes. I see that, that sadness in the eye and it, I try to find the potential. I look at them and I, and I'm kind of scrutinize them a little bit like, okay, I see that potential right there. I see that look of, you know, ambition. There's something about you when you're polite or when you make me laugh, how can I build that up? Okay. I, it's like, uh, it's like cause the motto. He was a trainer for Mike Tyson. He would say, I see a young man and he see, I see an ember. I take that ember and I make it into a fire. I train him and he says, I turn it into a, a roaring inferno. And that's what I try to think when I see people, we're gonna start off small, we're gonna build that fire and I'm gonna turn you into an inferno because I know what it's like to have that potential and waste it. I don't wanna see you do the same thing. That's why it's close to my heart. Wow, wow. That is absolutely amazing. And I love what you said about finding the potential in people because you know, it's easy to find the bad stuff it's easy to find the dirt, but 
some someone once told me in high school, you know, it's easy to find the dirt in people, but be that person who finds the gold, <laughs> finds the good. I'm stealing that, by the way. <laughs> that is a-okay. Steal anything you want, but it's it's true. I mean, I have always thought about that. You know, it's so easy to find the dirt. Be the person who finds the gold. And I think once you find the gold, you will start to really want to try to build that person up. And it's it's a beautiful thing that you do that every day. So thank you for what you do because I guarantee you, um, you know, sometimes I'm sure you might feel discouraged because you feel like you might not change the world, but you have changed someone's world. And that makes all the difference. Oh, and you got a tear. <laughs> thank you. Of course, that's what's important, you know, and, and that's why that's why we do this. That's why we wake up every day and, and we fight. You know, you, your life has not been the easiest by any means. I mean, the fact that you were living out of your car and on the streets at one point is that had to have felt like the lowest of lows. And you said something that I do want to touch on. You said mm. you felt like your life wasn't worth living. And that was a moment for me because this past year I've had so many moments where I felt like my life wasn't worth living. And I just gave a talk in yeah. September to 20,000 people on a virtual suicide summit. And the title was called life is worth living. Mm. And I talked about that, that transformation. And so I want to know from you, was there a moment or a period in time where you had that shift, where you finally realized my life is worth living? And what was that like for you? I think that was a little bit around the time um, I got my dog, Allie, <laughs> German oh. Shepherd, a rescue. And I said, you know, I, I was getting up every single morning and I would walk this canal alone over by my house. And I would look at the water and I was like, I could just walk in there and just like melt away and disappear. It felt like there was, you know, like a sinking into just a warm bath and just forgetting about yourself. And then I just kept going further. And then I thought, all right, well, I used to love to go to the gym. Maybe I'll just go to the gym. And I started doing the gym. And uh, then I got Allie and I started taking her for walks and I had to be responsible for somebody else. And then I went to uh, went to the gym and I saw this you know, young woman there who uh, went to Rock Recovery Fitness. It's a gym. It's a free gym that's open to anybody. And as long as you've been sober for two days, you're welcome to come in. And she would and I always always have little conversations about sober community and how I didn't drink. And, and one day she just said, you know what, uh, I'm going there again. I said, oh, good, good. Like, well, that's an invitation. So get your stuff. I'm going to take you over <laughs> I was like, wow. all right. And so we went and she's been a close friend ever since Candace. She's, she was definitely something that she was definitely around there at a turning point in my life where I was like, it's okay to, to communicate with other people. You know, I, I I've always had a, a thing about not trusting police and trusting people and being isolated in that sort of life. You get dependent on just trusting the people around you. And even those people around you, you, you never know when they could turn on you, you know, you know, uh, your best friends, you could be wearing a wire, whatever it was, it would just put me into a paranoid state where I didn't want to talk to anybody. And if I did, it might be scary because who knows in two weeks who they might be. But then it introduced me to other people. And then I said, well, well can I bring a couple other people with me? Sure. And then the radio connected and I said, hey, anybody on rock? And they came on the show, the people that owned the gym. Wow. And then 
And then I got hired by Baton Street and I started using Rock Recovery Fitness and I started telling my clients to go there. It'll open a network for you to, to talk with other people who are like-minded or people who will challenge you. Oh, okay, Jake, I'll try it. You did it. I did it myself. It opened my a few doors for me to get in communication with people. And uh, I think that's probably the turning point for me when I realized it was okay to let some people in and not be afraid. You know, I've got a, I had a, <clears throat> somebody mentioned me Stefano when I was growing up and you tell me things like um, your best, you know, your best friends, your family, all the closeness. And it sort of, it didn't make any sense to me, you know, trusting people and stuff. Cause he was always trying to tell me to stay away from crime. Don't do it. Jake, you're better than that. And I never listened to him. And I realized just focusing on the good things and the humanity in people. That's the kind of things I, I need to trust. Wow. That's beautiful. I, I admire your courage for letting people in because, you know, I think when you go through any kind of suck in your life, you feel like such a burden and you feel like you don't want to burden people, but you also don't want to let people in. Perfect so, word. Yeah. Very, very brave of you to, to, to start that process of letting people in because I feel like in a sense, when you let people in, you start to let go. At the same time, you start to let go of the things that you're dealing with and allowing other people to take it on with you. And that's what compassion is, right? Is, is just, in my eyes, it's walking with someone through their suffering and you, you just let that person walk with you. So very brave. So important. Thank you so much. I, I, I would like to say, if you're ever talking to somebody and you're in a situation, if anybody's listening, when you're trying to help somebody out, always use we. I use we so many times. Like, um, yo, you need to do this. You need to go down here and you need to get your uh, unemployment, your benefits, your disability. We need to work on this together as a team. Just that, that constant, just two letters, that one word, that's all you need. And to somebody to say, okay, it's, it's me and it's together. We're doing this together. It's a constant reminder that you're not alone. Wow. That is awesome because... I have this shirt that says, when you replace the I in mental illness with we, it becomes wellness. Oh and my God. <laughs> that, it, that, it just reminded me of that. And that's so true. The we, we get through this together. And that's when illness becomes wellness. That oh. is so powerful. Wow. I, I honestly have goosebumps right now. That was, you were meant to say that. That's, that's incredible. Um, and so for anyone listening, I, I want you to know that you're not alone. You have people like Jake and I here who are fighting with and for you every single day. And, you know, Jake, as we're wrapping things up here, you know, I know that there are, are a lot of people who listen to this podcast because they're trying to survive the suck and get through the things in their life that is just really hard, really stressful, and really painful. What would you tell someone who is just trying to survive every single day? What advice do you have for them? Be resourceful listen and be patient those are three things that are difficult to do i i know it seems like it'd be easier to just say a lot of action stuff get out there do this be patient listen and be resourceful you know you made it this far anybody else can go over and help you along the way just reach out just takes that moment of trust to say maybe i'll call 211 maybe i'll i'll find out of some place from a shelter I'll trust somebody and just be humble enough to ask for help. Mm. Ask for help. Yes, I love that. I love that. I love that. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kevin Hines. He's um, he, a wonderful suicide prevention advocate. He's awesome. He's a suicide um, bridge jump survivor off of the Golden Gate Bridge. And mm. he phenomenal human being. But something that he once told me was never be afraid to ask for help. Reach out, but don't be afraid to reach in and to reach into yourself and to find that strength to continue to carry on within you. And that has changed my life because it's as hard as, it, as, hard as it is to reach out, I think sometimes we're even more scared of, of what we have inside of us. And so for anyone listening, I want you to know that you are strong, you are important, and you are capable, but don't be afraid to ask for help and lean into yourself as well because you can get through this and we're rooting for you. You've survived 100% of everything you've ever been through. Don't stop now. We're rooting for you. Jake, is there anything else that you want to add as we're closing up here? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, do a shout out to Jackie Kyler and Mary Gomez DeSantis and Baden Street Settlement Team. Check us out at Rising Up Recovery on Instagram or the Facebook. Check out our group. It was a pleasure being on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It, your story is incredible. And I just, I'm, I'm honestly blown away by you, just the person that you are and the good that you're putting out into the world. You're creating ripples, changing the world one person at a time with your story and just who you are. So thank you for everything that you are and the person that you're trying to be in this world. So thank you, Jake. Thank you to everyone listening. Please know that you are loved. You matter. If you're struggling and you just need someone to talk to, you can always call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. It's free. It's confidential. It's available 24-7. And you don't have to be suicidal to call. If you just need someone to talk to, Jake and I are here for you. You can call the suicide hotline. And you can also text at 741-741. So you are not alone. You are loved. And most importantly, you will survive the suck. We're in it with you. Stay strong. You got this.